Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is chaplains. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so I realized that when we were talking about both candidacy and seminary, that I really had no strong clue what a chaplain was, even though you were talking about doing the chaplain residency. Yeah. So let's start at the super beginning. What are they? Chaplains are religious leaders who are called to serve within specific contexts. Okay. That's a broad term. Yes. And I guess to say like a pastor could be called to a specific context, but it's a context where it's a caring kind of specificity. You're called within an institution, not a church. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're talking things like hospitals and the military and prisons, right? And universities. Oh, okay. Right. So anything where you're called to serve within an institutional setting and you are there to offer primarily less administrative kind of things, although there's plenty of administrative work, don't get me wrong, but you're not leading a congregation or a nonprofit organization. You're serving within the structure of an institution and you're, you're there as a caring entity. The only experience I think I've had with a chaplain directly is when I was in the hospital pregnant with my first and I was Mm -hmm. there long enough that Mm -hmm. somebody decided to send the chaplain to my room to see how I was doing. Yep. When I did my chaplaincy work, basically, if you were there more than 24 to 48 hours, we would come by and round. Okay. And knock on your door and say hello. And it doesn't matter who the person in the institution is and it doesn't matter what denomination the chaplain is. Correct. There for everybody. Yep. Isn't it beautiful? It is beautiful, but did that cause problems? Well, you could ask the individual, like if you were coming from the spiritual care department, you could ask the individual if they wanted a specific religious representative to come and visit you. And then as the chaplain for the hospital, then you go and find the imam or the Catholic priest. Okay. Right. So you do the work of coordinating with then finding a local religious leader within the community to connect with that person. But on just a generalized day-to-day praying for God to be with you, praying for the divine to be present and offer healing— That can be very interreligious. That's fascinating. Now, for schools and for hospitals, they're often affiliated with a specific religion, correct? Sometimes. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Does that have any play on who the chaplain is? Absolutely. So I went to an ELCA Lutheran University. Mm -hmm. And so our on-campus chaplain is an ELCA pastor. That makes sense. Right. And the ELCA-affiliated hospital here in the area 
does happen to have an ELCA Lutheran who is the head of the spiritual care department, but that wasn't required. And when I was serving there, we had multiple different denominations represented on the on-staff chaplains and multiple denominations represented within the interns and the summer interns. So it could mix up. And I know Providence Portland has multiple denominations represented, even though they are a Catholic organization. It's fascinating to me how this even gets started. This has to be some sort of a tradition that dates way back. Well, spiritual care matters. (laughs) Well, sure. Especially in a setting like a hospital where you have, you know, lots of emotions, lots of high stakes. Yeah. And it's a part of holistic kind of care. Doing that work and being present alongside, it's part of the holistic care of a person. And whether we think of it often or not, Christians before Constantine made it legal in 300, Christians were people who went and were present in the places of healing. Mm -hmm. And whether they were medical physicians or nurses or any of those things, they went and were there and held the space and all of the different pieces as best that they could. So it's part of who we are as Mm -hmm. people of faith. And I think it is part of who all people of faith, all leaders are. I mean, what do we do but hatch, match, and dispatch? (laughs) Sure. And it all happens in hospitals. And, you know, when we think about what our deployed individuals experience and see, of course they need spiritual care. Oh, sure. And for our people who have been imprisoned in the industrialized prison complex that we have in the United States of America to serve their spiritual needs. I mean, it's critical. It is. And I think the prisons is the one I'm most surprised about. Hmm. I mean, anybody who has any sort of pop culture references is aware of something like Father Mulcahy on MASH, right? Mm -hmm. The military sort of makes sense. But the prisons, especially knowing what I know about the way American prisons tend to be run, I kind of can't believe that there's somebody there trying to look out for everybody's spiritual well-being because that's got to be the hardest job I can think of. Right. One of the teachers, one of the university professors at my seminary, Dr. Alicia Vargas, was a chaplain at San Quentin. Hmm which is one of the highest security prisons in the United States of America. And she is amazing. I believe it. She is absolutely amazing. And I knew that I would not be able to serve well in that setting. I would be too afraid because of my own upbringing. Mm -hmm. I would just be too afraid. But she, she would work with people who really wanted to learn how to get through all of the different kinds of red tape and background checks and all the things before you could get into this prison to be able to visit with people and see people and pray with them and hold their confessions and hold their hearts. It's just amazing work. I believe it. Now, the other one you mentioned was universities, and mm-hmm. I'm guessing, 
at least at any university of any size that's not necessarily affiliated with any particular denomination, that's got to be kind of a cherry job because at that point, most college kids that I know of are like, see a religion, not going to go to church today. <laughs> Which makes it even harder to have anybody show up. <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine. I mean, for myself, the only reason I showed up to worship was because I counted for a grade. <laughs> Nice. I was in the choir that had to sing a certain number of Sunday mornings. Oh, yeah. I had no such issues. I went to no such services. (laughs) Oh, thank goodness for choir. I would never be where I am if I wasn't in that choir. Oh, that's fascinating. But I think it's an interesting position being a university chaplain and holding the space with people of that age from 18 to 22 It really is such a critical time of development and such a critical shifting and changing point that even if you only get one or two students a year with whom you are strongly connecting and serving, what an impact on the world that has, like the butterfly impact Mm -hmm. of a chaplain working with someone in those couple of years is really astonishing. I mean, look at how many people Chaplain Radeke has impacted By taking the time to sit with me and tell me the God story, Mm -hmm. right? It's amazing. It's awesome. So how does one become a chaplain? Is it vastly different from either being a deacon or a pastor? It depends upon the context in which you're going to be serving. Okay. And you get to choose? That's not like, well, you're getting called by a congregation, so you kind of go where they send you? Correct. It's a different process. And I can only speak directly to how this works in the ELCA. That's fair. So I'll put that caveat there and say that in the ELCA, we require that our pastors, just in general, there are probably exceptions, but we require that our pastors serve in congregations for at least three years before they go into specialized ministry, which chaplain work, mm -hmm, which chaplaincy is is considered specialty work. So you have to have a congregation that calls you and serve your three years as a parish pastor, and then you can go back to chaplaincy should you choose to. If you choose to go into chaplaincy, each of the different areas will have their own kind of additional training that you need to go through. For university chaplaincy, it's a bit different. The positions are open. There's actually a position open here in Oregon right now. Chaplain Radeke reached out to me and said, hey, if you've ever thought about it, there's this positioning open up. And I'm like, timing's not right for me, but I'll share the news. Mm -hmm. So you can apply and do the interview process for university chaplaincy kind of work. When it comes to the military, you have to qualify to serve as an officer of the military. Well, that makes sense. So when I was ending my first call, I was considering military chaplaincy. And because of my asthma, none of the branches would take me. Oh, nice. Right? Sure. I tried. I put in good effort, but no one will take you with a standing prescription for albuterol, (laughs) much less Simbicort. So... You have to be able to meet all the same physical requirements. And I believe from what little I studied, and people can correct me, you come in as an officer. Okay. 
and then serve. We actually have a military chaplain here in the Oregon Senate who is now retired, Pastor Scott Dunphy, who served overseas for a while and has seen a lot of things. I bet they have. Mm -hmm. And with the military chaplaincy, you serve the branch that you serve. So you can serve the Navy, you can serve the Army, you could serve the Air Force, right? You serve the branch of the military that you serve. Prisons, I honestly don't know how the training goes. I haven't looked into it at all. Hospital chaplaincy, what is required is that there is something called the Association of Pastoral Clinical Education. Okay. And... You have to have a year and a half of additional chaplaincy training where you go and work in the hospital. You have to do your residency, basically. So if you think of doctors who have a, like maybe a fellowship and then they have a residency, same thing for pastors. We have our fellowship, which is a couple of months, and then we have our internship where we learn to be pastors, then we get ordained, we serve in the parish, and then if you want to specialize in this ministry, you go back for another full year residency in a program. Wow. Before you are qualified by the chaplaincy organization to serve as a full-time chaplain in a hospital spiritual care department. So in some ways, it's kind of like, I'm going to say higher degree because I don't know how else to do it. But basically, you get your ordination, you go through whatever, and then you decide you want additional, like specializing, I guess, is the other way to look at it. Yep. You specialize in it, you get this other certificate. You get your certification in this specialized form of ministry because there are specific things that are vastly different than working in a parish. I believe it. To go work in a hospital. But you still, at least for the ELCA, have to have that experience having worked in a, in a parish. Mm-hmm. If you're a deacon and you decide to be a chaplain, do you have to go through the whole call process and work? Or is it not quite as extensive to have to start over? That's a great question because I know several deacons who serve as chaplains. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. It may be that because the rosters are viewed differently, Mm -hmm. because the roster for deacons is word in service, that that service portion has that chaplain feel to it. Okay. Where the word and the world meet in a way that is different than where the word and the sacrament meet, which is what word and sacrament pastors are called to. So there's, in some ways, a way to go in as a deacon into that word and service that is a little bit maybe, maybe we don't require that anymore. Yeah. That's a fascinating question. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question, which you kind of had already answered a little bit. But when you were going through seminary and you had your residency, did you ever consider being a chaplain seriously at that point? Absolutely. Really? And why is that? That was my goal. Really? Uh Uh-huh. 100%. Again, like an extra hard way to go. (laughs) When I was doing my chaplaincy at Emmanuel, I could not imagine any better call than getting to work as a chaplain. Really? In a hospital? In a level one trauma center. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, why? So many reasons. And I would still do it. I would still do it in a heartbeat. Maybe a bit. I'm an adrenaline junkie. Okay. (laughs) Right. So there's, there's a bit of that. I am fairly good in a crisis. I calm down pretty well in a crisis and I ground. I've been in a couple of church services where things have gone wildly wrong at a terrible point in the service and seeing you completely unflappable. I believe this. Right. So I have that gift and I, I appreciate that gift to be able to just dig down and feel my roots in a moment of crisis. But a couple of things. One, <laughs> when it comes to hospital chaplaincy work, when you walk into the room, you get a new chance every time. Like okay. maybe not with the same patient, right? But when you change patients, like if you've just totally blown it in the room before you, you're going in for a fresh chance. Sure. In this new room, you can take all the ways in which you just completely buggered it up and let them go and try again to be your best self oh, in that and that's moment. Not even remotely possible with any sort of congregation. <laughs> not at all. Mm-mm. Things you buggered up five years ago are going to come up in that council meeting and going to bite you. Mm-hmm. So the grace of just being able to be present in the moment, in each moment, which is another thing that I'm good at, is being fully present exactly when I am. I'm really not great necessarily at planning ahead (laughs) or realizing the passage of time. Sure. But I'm really good at being present in the moment where I am. (laughs) And so to get to do that with people, to just be present in that moment right there is just amazing and an incredible gift. And people are super real in those moments. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to not just be real when you're in the hospital in these situations. And that's incredibly powerful. And if someone doesn't want to see you, if they're like, go away, I don't want to see you, who are you, screw you, or much stronger language, there's another room (laughs) of someone else who does want you to hang out with them. And to get to see the sacred story over and over and over again all day long is just amazing. And the final piece that I loved about high trauma chaplaincy, there's more. I loved getting to build relationship with the ICU nurses over the summer. Oh, sure. I hadn't even considered the staff that would be there as well. They become your long-term congregation. Sure. Right? The staff and whoever and however you build relationship with them the summer that I was there, there was some horrible accident at the beginning of the summer. And whenever I was on call, I would do night rounds where mm-hmm. you would actually round the entire hospital. So even areas that were not my normal turf, when you're the on-call chaplain, you do rounds with everybody. And so getting to be present with the night nurses mm-hmm. in the ICU during that summer was phenomenally powerful. Being with them when some harvesting was happening and some opportunity to give life to new people an organ donation that night was astonishing. But there was one particular day in the emergency room. I think it was a day that I was on call because normally I wouldn't have been called to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. So I had to have been the on-call chaplain that night. 
And it had to have been at night because sure, I wasn't on call during the days. The actual trauma chaplain was on call during the days. So it was some night and an event occurred, went in and was present with the individual. And there is in the, these hardest, most terrifying moments of our lives, there is no word that you can come up with to say. There is no wisdom that at 24 year, years old, I was going to have. There was nothing that I was going to be able to do or say or be or fix. All I could do was get out of the way and let God be present in that room through me. And as a person who sometimes can get caught up in how I can do the best work that I can do, to have that space where there is no doing the best work. You just got to get out of the way. It's phenomenally forgiving and holy and beautiful work. And so, absolutely, I wanted more than anything else to be a trauma chaplain at Legacy Emanuel <laughs> here in Portland. <laughs> And my supervisor was so fantastic. And he was like, I hear you, but you have to go serve your time in the parish. Sure. Then you can come back, but you have to go serve your time in the parish. And the parish still hasn't let go of me. 15 years later, the parish still hasn't let go of me. Ah, uh, there's still time. There's still plenty of time. Mm -hmm. And I would absolutely absolutely go back to chaplaincy or go on to chaplaincy in a heartbeat. That's fabulous. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about being a chaplain. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening along. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about this. If you ever find yourself in a hospital or in a care setting and you are looking for someone to just not have you be alone, feel free to reach out to the spiritual care department. They are amazing people who want nothing more than to be present with you. Until we are back in your ears again, remember God loves you no matter what.